Good morning, friends. Welcome to Wake Up in the Word. We are in John chapter number 12. We're beginning the most important aspect of the life of Jesus Christ. He's going to describe what that means here in just a minute when he declares that his hour has finally come. Grab a good cup of coffee and let's look at the Word of God together. We're in John chapter 12 and we have, have gotten to this point basically walking with Jesus as he's ministered to those people of the Jewish faith. He's come as their Messiah to be either accepted or rejected by them. And in verse 20, we are introduced to an entirely new group of people, a group of people of which I'm a part, a group of people known as Gentiles. In other words, everybody that's not a Jew. <laughs> and so being introduced to this group, now all of a sudden we recognize that it's time. It's time for something special to happen. The waiting can be set aside. His hour has come. In verse number 20, it says, Now some Greeks um, were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Now the fact that they were Greeks and they were going up to worship at the festival indicates that mostly they must have been proselytes. Okay, They had become Jews, even though they weren't born into this ethnic Jewish family. So they were perhaps at least a part of that Hebrew tradition. They were probably proselytes. But the fact that they were Greeks lends itself to the idea that some may not have been. They must have been there just to be a part of what was going on almost like a tourist trip for some of them. Who knows how many? We don't have an accurate survey nor account, but it does say they were going up to worship. Watch what happens in verse 21. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. In other words, is this okay? Can these guys see Jesus or not? You know, they're Gentiles. Now, Jesus has already had some actions and interactions with some other folks, Roman soldiers, for example, from outside the faith. And you can remember some of the curious ways in which he dealt with that, but still expressing the fact that they can have faith in him, that there is something coming of which all will be a part. It was Jesus himself who said that God so loved the world, not just the Jewish world, the world, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So it says Jesus replied to them. In other words, he's not talking to the group of Greeks yet. Matter of fact, we don't have John's answer as to what Jesus did. Did he meet with them? Did he talk with them? Did he have a conversation with them? We don't have it recorded. John admits at the end of his gospel there were so many things not recorded about the life of Jesus that would have taken an awful lot more paper and pen to write, and it, it wasn't recorded. But we do have the interaction between Jesus and the disciples who came because of these Greeks wanting to see Jesus. Now listen to this curious response. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now hang on, let's get on that sentence for itself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now you know what's going to happen to him in the next few days. Would you call this being glorified? Nailed to a tree, having your life ripped out from you, being beaten beyond human recognition? being slaughtered with a spear stuck through the side of your, your dead, lifeless body, this is glorified? 
But yet this is exactly what Jesus knows is about to come, and he's laying it out in such clear fashion now that he has said, it's time, guys. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's referring to his own passion, death, and resurrection, which is going to reveal to the entire world that all of his claims about being the Messiah are absolutely, positively true. So in saying this, uh, there's, there's a message to, if nothing else, go back and tell these Gentiles. Or perhaps Jesus did get a chance to talk with them. We don't know. But what he says right here is so important. Remember as he began his ministry at the wedding feast in Cana? Why are you bothering me? My hour has not yet come. And over and over again, my hour hasn't come yet. Now Jesus is saying, it's time. My hour is here. And then in verse 24, he gives us these words, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, I'm going to stop right there this morning because uh, just as this particular principle needs to be laid out, and it reminds me very much of a song, Tony Carroll, that you used to sing all the time uh, from the old King James Version, remember? Except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abideth alone. And, uh, and in that particular way of singing that over and over again, it lays out the fact that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And those of us who follow him understand that there are times in which the same kind of call may be placed upon each and every one of us to lay our life down and die for others. It's one of the most noble things that any human being can do, to be a savior, a sacrifice of love for someone else. Jesus is making the ultimate sacrifice, that which allows us all to be a part now of his own family. Now, as we get to this particular passage from Emma Owens, point of view, listen to what he says about the Greek interest in Jesus. He said these uh, Greeks, dissatisfied with the paganism in which they'd been reared, were seeking a better faith. And Judaism offered them one God, the creator of all things, holy in his nature, who had revealed himself in the scriptures. Now, having heard of Jesus, the Greeks were interested in him. They may have felt he could offer them even more than the law of Moses could. And they possibly approached Philip because he had a Greek name. In fact, remember one of the most famous rulers of all ancient Greece is named Philip, of course. Okay, so hang on. Philip hesitated to present them directly to Jesus, so he consulted Andrew. And it took the two of them who went to Jesus. Perhaps Philip thought Jesus wouldn't receive Gentiles. So now this discourse that we've just read resulted from the Greeks' request. Curiously enough, John doesn't even tell us whether Jesus ever granted them an interview or an audience. Even if he did not, however, his remarks were relevant to their situation. For he stated that his purpose was to give his life so that people of all nations might be drawn to himself. Isn't this a beautiful picture? And then Jesus laying out this picture then tells us exactly how that's going to happen. 
It's all about his own sacrifice. Now, the principle of sacrifice, Owens writes, is basic to Christian living. Every one of the Gospels contains these or similar words of Jesus. Those who are unwilling to let go of self can never be truly fruitful for God. By hating one's life, Jesus doesn't mean that one should become sour or suicidal, but rather that he should regard his life as having no ultimate purpose except doing the will of God. And Jesus used two important words in his statement. The life that we may love and thereby lose is life in this world. It's physical life with all that goes with it of sense and passion. Eternal life, on the other hand, is the life of God given to those who trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. While a student in college, Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. As you think about those words this morning, isn't that the ultimate picture of what Jesus is telling us? That we are the smartest of all, well, I don't know if I want to say smartest, but the most blessed of all people, if we understand this principle, the principle that Jesus taught us himself by laying down his life so that we could have life. It's something worth understanding and passing along. Well, God bless you this morning. Thanks for joining me for just a few moments. Let's keep in mind that Jesus is speaking to us today as clearly as he was in the first century and telling us what we need to be doing to not only recognize his life, his ministry, his sacrifice for us, but to pave the way for others to come to that knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep waking up in the Word every single day and sharing the good news of the gospel until he comes. I'll see you tomorrow right here.